Okay, we are recording. Fantastic. Okay, so let's start uh, this re- this episode of Reaccess Podcast on the theme of nurturing. Alex, would you please introduce Kirk Domer? Uh, Kirk Domer is an artist, educator, and leader. He's the professor of scene, scene design and graduate program director at Michigan State University, as well as the director of uh, MSU's artist and cultural management program. His scene designs have appeared on stages throughout North America, and he's the co-author of a book called Collaboration Theater. Thank you. Fantastic. Welcome, Kurt and, and Vicky. Derek McNish, an award-winning associate professor of theater at Michigan State University with a focus on acting, voice, and applied theater. He is an English-language specialist for the USA, U.S. Department of State and the co-author of Drama in the Language Classroom. Thank you for having us here. Um, So we have questions for you about Russian culture. We are curious about um, maybe traditions or or things in your life that that we just don't know about and we want to learn more about it. Um, So we're going to be focusing on the theme of nurturing and nurture is a word that the more I say it, the weirder it sounds. Nurture, nurture. Um, so I looked it up to make sure I understand what it means. It means to care for, support, and encourage the growth of something or someone. Okay, so first on the theme of nurturing, can you think of one thing that you enjoy nurturing? in your life, such as a plant or a hobby or a relationship? Can you share something that you nurture? Well, thing number one that that I do enjoy uh, nurturing in my life is myself because I love food (laughs) and (laughs) I love cooking. So um, that would be thing number one. Uh, Also, um, um, my grandma has like a huge yard as well and we grow our own vegetables and we pickle them and we eat them um, during the winter. So uh, we do nurture those plants. And uh, also um, a lot of animals like dogs and cats because I've always been um, like a cat person. So uh, we do have uh, animals that we nurture. Uh, And also like uh, my hobbies and like nurturing myself emotionally, I think it's also like very important. And I do that by watching uh, too many American TV series and uh, listening to to music. So that's me. I I love that, that the act of watching television and listening to music is actually, it's nurturing your artistic soul, but also it's educational. And, and you're learning about other people. Um, Aisha, did you have something to add? I think uh, at the first place, I nurture my well-being. And it means that I need to nurture my soul, my mind, and my body, which means like physical activity, some books, and some intellectual interests, and research, and also some spiritual stuff like to spend your time as you want with people that you want and by things that you want to do, for example, art or listening to music or dancing. So, yeah. Awesome. I, I have one follow-up question. Like, is that kind of thing celebrated in Russia? Because I think that in in the U.S., sometimes there is like a guilt 
that's associated with spending time on things like yourself. And of course we do. Um, but, you know, it's something that maybe is like, there's a little bit of, of internalized shame because of it. Like I'm doing these things to, to nurture myself when I should be nurturing others or I should be focusing on my job. But is that something that's, that's supported in Russia? I see Alina nodding. Can you tell me a little bit? Yeah, of course, it's supported here. And maybe this thing, have it comes from America to us, that American mentors and coaches teach us that we need to be, we need to live our guilt-free life, that we need to support ourselves. And first of all, we need to take care of ourselves and love ourselves. So I think it's really supported here. And in my, personally, in my experience, I, I'm a teacher. And when you work with children, you need to have lots of energy. And you won't be able to work with them if you're like, if you don't sleep enough, if you don't rest enough. So that's why- if you're exhausted. Yeah, it's essential to take care of yourself. And I think- it's really supported here. Oh, I, I love that, that you can't bring your best self to work if you don't recharge your batteries and take care of yourself. I love that. Um, Kurt, take it away. Okay, so I'm interested in there. there's any specific traditions or practices in Russian culture that emphasizes nurturing or caring of others or things. Well, I would say the thing that we mentioned before in our episodes of podcast, but as for me, it's really important when you ask a Russian person, how are you? They will tell you the whole story of their life and it's like normalized. It's okay. You, uh, When you ask, how are you? You expect someone to answer like really wide and share them like some moments that they really enjoyed lately or what's uh, disappointed them. I think it's really what, as for my American friends, it's really surprising them usually when they know about this tradition. But as for me, it's nice and it's pretty empathizing. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's really when you care about others and you want to listen how they are. How long does it typically take to have an introduction then? Well, you know, it really differs. Sometimes it's even like a few seconds, but it's totally okay, for example, to say, I'm feeling bad, like, or everything is very, very bad, even that you work, for example, it's like normal. I think uh, mostly in Europe and the US, it's okay to say something like, I'm fine, I'm good, so, like so-so. But in Russia, even if it's just two words, not like a huge description of your life, you can just answer honestly, I guess. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and I wanted to add that we don't really use how are you uh, in an introduction. Like, we usually just read each other. So how are you is mostly used when you have time, when you are ready to discuss things and yeah, stuff like that. I guess there was a part about traditions in the question. So if we talk about nurturing someone, um, we have several celebrations like Mother's Day, Father's Day, Teacher's Day, where we actually uh, thank people who care about us and we uh, motivate people around to care about people who care about us, like to 
not to take it for granted, but to be really grateful for all the job that our family or people around us do to make us feel better. And there are so many traditions related to the food, you know, like when uh, when like you have like family meetings or like gatherings and it's um, I don't know, it can be like um, like a New Year celebration or um, like any holiday, actually. So uh, when you host a party. I think, and you you invite people over. So usually there's like um, there's like a lot of food, uh, and um, uh, you are expected to actually um, you know try everything that's like on the table like in front of you. I mean, at least that's how it is uh, <laughs> for me. That's how it's always been uh, for me. So like whenever we hosted like a party or like a family gathering or something like that, so my mom would cook a lot. And she would just like put everything like on the table in front of the guests. Um, and um, yeah, um, usually she's like, yeah, why didn't you try this one? And, and like that one. So it's um, it's expected to sort of put out the best in front of your guests and like nurture them to make sure that you know that uh, that they um, had really good food and enjoyed themselves. Yeah, uh, I was thinking about that. Like, it is usually expected that you, for New Year, actually, to, that you cook yourself, like, and that you gather together. Sometimes families gather and they cook uh, together. So that's a process that is, that's a tradition where people gather and they do this together. They nurture each other. So... Yeah, I think that's a big part too. Yeah, it's just like the very first thing that 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 my grandma asks me, like when I visit her, it's like, uh, do you want something to eat? Like, I'm like, no, no, I'm good. She's like, no, I'm actually feeding you some food. So like, I don't care. Just like sit at the table and I'll be right back with you. So then we can talk and then we can discuss something. But before that, you're going to eat. So yeah, nurturing. Now, I wonder, is that like just a mom thing everywhere or is that specific to culture? Because I know my mom does that. You know, it's it's like I'm not hungry. I don't even like anything that you have, but she insists. And that's how she expresses her love for me. Yeah, grandmas are the worst. I mean, they just want to feed you first thing. You knock on the door, there's a plate, you know. Oh, that's so true. So I just had pictures of my niece. She graduated from law school this last weekend, and there's so many graduations coming up, right? Colleges and high schools. How do you celebrate, you know, that that sort of ultimate? I got my degree. After high school, it's usually a big party, and but we have like two splendid parties, like uh, the last bell. It is called where people are in their uniforms that are designed like as usually as in a Soviet style, I think. Like there are a lot of schools like that. And there is a that official part of graduation where people dance, there's a vows. Yeah, that's the end, but actually after that you got have your exams. So at first you celebrate, then you have your exams, and then you celebrate another time when you're already, yeah. So then it's more informal and 
high schoolers just gather together sometimes with their parents and there's like a house they rent a house uh, and sometimes with their parents uh, at the one half there is parents celebrating and another half uh, high school celebrating <laughs> and sometimes there could be alcohol <laughs> yeah both in parents part and in high school's part so it's kind of they just know about each other and that day you don't care yeah interesting does that happen for college too like higher education yeah, but but like in college, it's a little bit more formal, I would say, like at least how it was for me. So um, you have like um, sort of uh, this event where you have like your professors with you and the dean of the faculty is usually there and they just um, uh, you get like uh, your degree. They give you like the certificate mm -hmm. and everything. Uh, and it's like very, very formal. And usually it's like um, the dean gives a speech about you know your bright future or something like that and um it takes like maybe like 20 to 30 minutes like overall uh, then you get uh your like your degree like your um yeah your certificate like your papers and usually you are off to celebrate like with your group mates so like we uh i think for my graduation we rented um rented like two houses i think and we celebrated all night so yeah that was a lot of fun so that's how it was for me i like that in my republic we have a tradition that when students get their master's degree we usually dress up just like you guys in america at schools when you graduate from high school you wear this like a hat and then you get your diploma and you throw it away. This only <laughs> happens when you get your mm, diploma, when you graduate and you get your master's degree, but it doesn't happen when you get a diploma of bachelor. I don't know why it's like this. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, I'd like to tell about my graduation from university. When I got my bachelor degree, our uh, party was very informal. And uh, if uh, in school we have parents and students, in university we had professors and students. And it was like uh, we all uh, sit uh, near the table full of food with uh, our group of students and our professors. And I was close to my professor and he, he always said, oh, Alexandra, your glass is empty. I think you need more champagne. <laughs> And it was all the evening. So it's sometimes it's really informal. This is actually a great way to transition to our second group of questions, which is about nurturing students, because there are lots and lots of teachers in this room. Um, and even those of you that aren't teachers probably have stories about the teachers that impacted you. So, so my first question is about the role of teachers in emotional support for students. Like we know students are, we know teachers nurture students, but like, so I'm a university professor. And I think that when I started, which was only like 11 or 12 years ago, there was a line and, and like a, a professor really wouldn't be involved in emotionally supporting a student. Whereas now, I think that's that's become part of our jobs, like helping helping students to to cope and to be resilient and to, you know, handle 
when they get a bad grade and what that means. Um, so I was wondering if, you know, if you could talk to me about what it's like for you. Do you feel a responsibility to provide emotional support for your students or mental health support? Um, and if not, then what do you do when you feel that a student needs that? Uh, Vicky, please. I am an online teacher, so I, I can be named like a tutor because I'm not a, uh, a teacher in a public school, so I'm quite different teacher. So um, about nurturing, uh, I really care about my students' feelings every time. And for example, again, about how are you? I, I use this question for small talks, but usually or even quite often we talk more than five minutes just to understand uh, is the student ready to have a lesson? What uh, they want to do? Maybe they're like they're fed up with grammar and they just want to speak today and so on. For me, it's really important because students' emotions um, uh, have a really strong connection with like result from the lesson. That's why I pay a lot of attention to that. And for example, if I feel that my student said, I always ask them what happened and do you want to share with me? Maybe I can help you or maybe I can uh, say some recommendation, something like that. Yeah, and again, it's always in English and it's like uh, extra practice because English is a main main role of English is communicative skill. And uh, uh, when English is connected with your life, you can remember vocabulary and grammar better. So it's like, you know, integration to a student's life. So why not? And for me, it's not a problem just to be a listener. And why not to help my students? Yeah, so uh, I really wanted my teachers to be the same like me. That is so smart. I mean, what you're talking about is evidence-based practice that if students are not in an emotional place to learn, that emotions can be a barrier to learning. I think that's called, it's, it's called an effective filter um, with an A, effective filter. Like if there is an emotional barrier, that learning won't happen. And so a responsible teacher, one that really does want to nurture, has to address the, that kind of thing. Maybe a follow-up question is that, you know, as, as a teacher, I didn't learn how to do that until I was in a classroom and like really faced with those issues. And then, and then I learned how to do it. But was that, was that part of your teacher training? Was that part of your education as a teacher? I can add a little bit uh, and even to your previous speech because when you said about the line that's what I feel right now but many years ago not many 12 10 years ago when I started I started more like uh, that non-formal part because we were obsessed or maybe very excited about the idea of uh, academic writing centers and uh, communication centers which you guys have in the U.S. but we don't have here and it was a marvelous idea that you can come to the center and uh, consult uh, with someone who is not teacher, but technically have that teaching or educational 
background and we were trained for this, asking questions and uh, making uh, a student feel comfortable. And I was dreaming to spread it, maybe not to spread it, share it all over our country. That's actually how our community was built. I mean, this very community of alumni, and that's probably, I would honestly say I'm very proud of. Yeah, but right now when I'm in their official education, uh, education on university level, I feel that sometimes uh, there is some, you know, encouragement from my colleagues to make this line, to be a teacher and not to be a friend or to be someone who is very close to. So right now we have so many, like, not obstacles, uh, but issues and uh, Sometimes at the very beginning, when I started with university, I could not even overcome this. And then I became a little bit more strict teacher because I had responsibility, health and uh, safety. It was number one question for me in my group. Uh, but right now, um, after a couple of uh, months, uh, I found some students who are so uh, excited about what I am telling them and uh, they are on the same page with me so sometimes you can be a friend even if you're uh, a teacher university teacher you just need to find the students who will be listening to you and uh, will be on the same page with you but anyway uh, I'm still with this idea of academic writing centers that's an amazing idea and right now it's actually uh, sharing in uh, shared in Russia, not in all universities, but I definitely know that in Moscow, in Saint Petersburg, uh, in some other cities like Novosibirsk or far away, like Far East, there are some enthusiastic teachers who try to create these clubs or academic centers, uh, and that's perfect. <clears throat> I mean, this gives a uh, second opinion, which is very important right now. I guess. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is so much to think about. It's making me think about the difference between parenting and nurturing as as an educator when i feel like i have to put on the hat of a parent of of like you know it shouldn't be my job to teach you how to be an adult or you know how to behave or how to be respectful and how to meet deadlines and all of that stuff like or your your parents should be doing that so that i can be the more supportive person but for some people you know, it's like there's no one size fits all accommodation for each student. One student may need that emotional support, that friendly or brotherly kind of feel from a teacher, whereas another student might really benefit from strict guidelines and consequences if they don't follow through on things. And I think that's that's been something hard for for me as a teacher. Yeah. Kirk, do you have a question? I guess I do. No, I'm curious too, since like just the world has changed so much since I was in school and students have changed so much. But was there anybody, a teacher that ever inspired you or supported your curiosity to help you love learning? Is there a story you have about that teacher that you're like, I'm going to do it exactly the way they did it because it changed my life? I have many stories, but yeah, Vicky. Yeah, I had a great uh, the Russian language and literature teacher. She was my, uh, I don't know how to say that in English, but maybe you will understand me, a class teacher. So she was responsible for my class. 
uh, in Russia, we have teachers and they're like um, one class and they're responsible for the for these people. They do uh, extra lessons for them and read lectures, for example, how to be behave on the roads and so on and so on, like some like uh, stuff like parents do. Yeah, and for example, I still uh, get well uh, with her, and I graduated, I guess, seven years ago, and we still keep in touch. Yeah, and um, yeah, maybe like her own teacher, yeah, something like that. And um, she was really kind and but strict at the same time. And for example, I could just uh, I could just talk to her. I could share with her my problems, uh, what I felt, and so on. And she was uh, really careful about this, and uh, she was really intelligent. She is why she's still alive. She is an intelligent woman. So, <laughs> yeah, I really like her. My story would be my English language teacher at school. I hope she hears this now when this will would be published because I usually share all our access news with her. I send all, all the links and surveys, so we, we also keep in touch. It's been like 10 years ago. I mean, I graduated 10 years ago. And uh, when I'm teaching now, I always remember how she used to teach us. I, I even say exactly the same words that she used to tell us like she would start our lesson with like hello my dear friends how are you today and now i i say this exact phrase all the time and the way she used to teach us grammar i also give it back so she has always inspired me and we still keep in touch and i really appreciate her and yeah, I want to say hi to her when she hears this, that I'm so thankful and I'm proud of her. Yeah. Anas, thank you. Oh, sorry, Anas. I saw Anas left her. And <laughs> Lina, thank you for mentioning access teachers because access teachers, they like uh, changed my life so much uh, 10 years ago. And uh, I also hope that they will hear this because um, at the very beginning, I was like copying every their uh, not gestures, but moves and some tricks and whatever. Because when I first, I was a little bit more formal. I was a part of administrative group or team in educational big center, that camping center. And when I just uh, entered their room, I saw a very friendly uh, people who were like a family. They were not like official teachers with official strict rules. And um, they were so... I don't know, they were understanding each other very easily without any words. There was a group of four teachers, access teachers. I remember them that most of them were from Rostov uh, region, uh, Novichurkasks, maybe somebody, no, Kate. Uh, she is also from that region. And Stavropol, of course, I remember uh, some from Bashkiria, but not from Ufa. And uh, that was amazing how they communicated to each other and to me. They didn't know me a lot. Uh, but they impressed me, and after that, I really uh, fell in love with English teaching that way they did. How one of them was like uh, a, a big mom, yeah, taking care uh, of everybody, um, making that uh, dinner or food, whatever. Another one was playing guitar and singing some lyrics. Uh, our younger colleagues, they were 
like making some PPT presentations because they're very good with computer and IT technologies. And another one was just picking up a new pack of cards, this colorful English language, and they were just playing, uh, like rehearsing what they will do with their students. And that was amazing. I mean, that community, they fell in a community. And I told myself, I will definitely join it, whatever it you know, costs me, I should try it. I should try to convince that I'm not so formal and official, but I really love it to nurture this. That's what's nurturing about, I guess. In Smolensk, we had uh, the same friendly and active access teachers, and I really appreciate them. They're adorable. Uh, in Ofa, I had the same teachers as Elena. There were two of them, and uh, really, I see them more as a home teachers as curators of mine than other teachers that were actually my home teachers i mean curators because they always supported us like all our projects they always sent us some ideas some uh topics some i don't know like everything that you can participate everywhere that you could just show yourself just be bright and they really supported us and i'm really thankful for them and i still i mean i graduated high school two years ago so that's not a lot but yeah we're always in contact i always share our episodes with them and just go to them and have a tea <laughs> And a little talk. So, yeah. I, this is, I think every teacher has a story about that teacher that inspired them to want to do this. Maybe we should call this episode a love letter to our teachers. <laughs> um, because I, you know, I, I know this is about you telling stories, but I think that like, for me, it was my, my French teachers because they were so warm and welcoming and encouraging. Um, but also my English teachers, an English class in, in, in the US is more about literature and, and that kind of thing, or writing or creative writing. Um, but they just always felt so supportive. And whenever I expressed interest in something, that energized them and that fed them. So like that feeling of getting to be a collaborator with your teacher. Whenever I got to achieve that, I I felt like, okay, this is this is what I want to do. And so I think as a teacher in my classrooms, I try to I try to um to spark that feeling that we are collaborating together. Um and Kirk literally wrote the book on collaboration. So I know you feel the same way. Yeah, I sent it to my teacher. Uh, it was about 15 years later, I said, I'm going to send you my book. And she's like, oh, I've been following you. I'm like, oh, that's nice. And we still talk. It's been 24 years and she's retired, but she likes to watch what we're all doing, which was very fun. Well, I, I suppose we can move on to the the final section. Um, so this this last section is really about nurturing personal growth and about work-life balance which is something that um, I don't really know what that means anymore. But yeah, so so I guess I'll just, I'll start with the first question here is, how do you strike a balance between your professional life and your personal life? Um, how do you avoid burnout? Um, burnout meaning like, 
working so hard that you just your brain doesn't work anymore and you just are not capable of anything um, and do you have any any tips or practices that you find helpful so right now like it's exam season so this theme is really like highlighted and as for myself it's really important for me to remember to eat to have some physical activity and not sleep vitamins and sometimes just to talk and gather like we do right now so it's a rest for me too yeah and emotional fulfillment because yeah when you really concentrate like when i really concentrate sometimes i really forgot to eat and i'm sitting there like thinking like why do i have so i don't have energy like why am i burnt out when the thing is i, I haven't eaten today or something like that i haven't uh walk it out and touch the grass so <laughs> sometimes these little things are really important and yeah as i said like these three things about spiritual and physical and intellectual balance so when i'm tired i just go and have some training or walk i think yeah it's mostly like that or meeting with friends family or access <laughs> i would add something about taking a walk because when I, I studied graphic design and arts and you know sometimes it's really difficult to create something new when you just sit in your room like for some hours and you're really uh, trying to like um, to find the best version of design but uh, nothing really new comes to you and i this moment i just walked away of the room and just went to shopping center for example or just went to sit you know somewhere and look around and sometimes you know your inspiration and new thoughts just come you see that uh, interesting like color scheme for example or you see interesting people that will inspire you or just some designs in the street for example like the color of the building i don't know so i would say it's important to change your like atmosphere and change the place where you are like from time to time even if it seems pointless sometimes it really helps it will get get you like a fresh air and uh, a new beginning i just add a little bit here because i think that's very important for everyone who is here that uh, working with your voice and actually writing this podcasting and recording is also a kind of switch i know that you guys derek and uh, some of you also work with voice but even working with voice and training it changes it helps to you know refresh your mind ideas and uh, because recently i started recording and i i felt very nervous like i was at my first grade but after that some changes came to to my group to my university like positive changes to my life and i realized many years ago i started to work on radio but then i dropped it off um that our voice it's our nature and when we train it when we try to find our voice our real voice when we do even this crazy articulation exercises it helps us to maybe to live some different lives so maybe to think about different characters and at that point we can really 
um, let's say, revitalize. Yeah, because we know, Derek, here, what does it mean, burnout? We actually, teachers know this very word, and in Russian, we, we really, like, translate it literally, <laughs> burnout. And, uh, and I experience it a lot right now. University teachers know this. Um, but when you work with your voice, something happens, magic happens. Yeah, and thank you so much for, let's say, training us, uh, coaching us. That's amazing. That's what you did for these two seasons, for these two semesters. That's absolutely, we are all grateful. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I, do teach, I do teach voice and something that Aisha said just sounds simple but so profound, like a reminder to eat. Um, you know, when you're so busy, sometimes that just falls to the wayside. But I would also say, as a professional voice user, like as a teacher, you are a professional voice user, that um, hydrating and drinking drinking water is something that people forget to do. Or, you know, I'm sure Alex and I have the same issue. We'll drink coffee all day um, and then have, you know, some wine and end up dehydrated because of it. Um, so if you if you are using your voice all day, uh, it can be a self nurturing thing to just remind yourself to have some some water. Christina, yeah, I wanted to add something. Um, as for me, uh, when I have a burnout, I try to watch motivational films or just listen to music. And also, it's really good practice to me to read some real story. So, for instance. Um, Biffen, it was an uh, English uh, artist, so she drew pictures without hands. So, Christina, please pull yourself together and finish your coursework. So, something like that. Also, it's really important, as Aisha said, um, not to forget about eating and another um, your needs. So, I set alarm clocks not to forget to uh, have a break. Because he totally plunge into this educational process, and he forget about uh, your surroundings. And also, maybe I just call my friends and invite them to go for a walk. So it's really helped me to take my mind off this exhausting educational process. So yeah. Yeah, I love the idea of scheduling a break for yourself. Um, for me, what happens is uh, I have like my my watch yells at me if I haven't stood up in an hour. So if I've spent an entire hour just sitting down, it like will bloop and say, get up off your butt. And even though I'm like working and getting things done, it will still do that. So I, I will I will listen to it and do what it says and go out for a little walk. And that really does does help me to stay um, on track. Um, and there was another hand up, but I just missed it. Who was about? Oh, I wanted to add that I have some practical tips avoiding burnout. I have oracle cards and I start my day with pulling some card and getting advice. Like, And then uh, also I try to practice meditation every day. So before getting to work, I usually do some breath work and try to, um, and I'm trying to like feel this, feel my body with some good energy. So this is what helps me, meditation and oracle cards. 
I love it. Thank you. Aisha? Yeah, and about uh, friend gatherings, I also like to study with my friends, uh, sometimes even on Zoom or video chat where you can mute yourself and study on your topics. But then you just, when you feel tired, you just unmute yourself, chat, talk and that's a reminder for you to have a breaks too and at the same time to concentrate because you have someone to watch on you like and to say hey go on your walk so yeah that that's a tip too <laughs> so kirk why don't you take us home with the best question and the last question well, I think though, for the eating point of view, we just need Alex's grandma's address. And if we just make sure that we drop in, we'll get a good meal every single time. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> She's always prepared for that. That's, so. I love it. I love it. Well, so we had some examples, um, but let's an example of a challenge that you faced as an educator and how you managed to overcome it. So thinking more in the classrooms, not just as us personally. I can start. Uh, like back when uh, when I just uh, started off as a teacher, uh, so I was like the only English teacher like in my school, and I had to teach uh, pretty much um, all all ages, like all all of the classes of English. So it was like entirely up to me. Um, and uh, in Russia, we start teaching, uh, like students start learning English since the second grade. So it's like pretty much primary school right away. Um, and uh, that was quite a challenge for me, just like to make sure that, you know, your students, they can actually understand what you're trying to tell them and that they are engaged and motivated. Uh, because some of them um, have, um, uh, they don't have as much practice, uh, you know, in, in, in Russian, you know, like uh, some of them uh, still struggle with, uh, with the Russian language. I mean, they speak, but uh, at the same time, it's like, it's still difficult for them. Uh, and um, this is where I, um, just like uh, in order for my children, like to be involved and like motivated, I decided to incorporate cartoons like into my classes. So I did that um, and uh, that worked out very well. So they were looking forward to every single one of my classes. They kept asking me questions when we are going to watch like a new episode of, of that particular cartoon, like what's gonna happen next. Um, and so that actually helped me to make sure there's discipline during the class because, you know, to watch a cartoon, to pick up some English, it, it's a privilege uh, because you have a curriculum and uh, that curriculum specifies exactly what you should do. So I kind of took the liberty of creating my own curriculum for, for, for those kids. Um, uh, but I got away with it. So it's okay. It works out well. Uh, but anyway, so that was like... Uh, Point number one and uh, point number two, like my camping experience as well, because like I used to work um, as a summer camp counselor, like even in the United States. And uh, we did a lot of cheers. We did a lot of um, mm -hmm. like, like games and stuff. So like every like 15 minutes, you just like stand up, you do some physical exercises, but like it has to be in English. So this way you can like still revise some basic stuff, you know, like body parts or I don't know, just something simple. 
uh, or maybe like the, the things around you um, and like basic vocabulary. And uh, that actually um, helps out a lot, like when teaching to, uh, to, those, uh, to those kids. Uh, and uh, another thing, um, like the mi middle school was okay too. Uh, but high school, uh, there was like another challenge there uh, because you have students who uh, some of them are really interested in English and they do want to continue uh, and uh, they like they take in everything that you give them. Uh, but there were students who were um, who were actually not willing to actually absorb any knowledge. And it's not just about English. It's like about pretty much all of the all of the subjects uh, because they felt that they were already grown ups and they just uh, didn't want to to learn anymore uh, so um that was like another challenge that um that i faced uh, and here i would say as an educator i decided that i would uh, i would use like their interests i would say so i would um i would find out what they were like really into uh things that they liked things that they didn't like uh, the music that they listened to, like the movies that they watched, um, the games they played, the books they read, and slowly, like step by step, incorporating that into my class as well. So, for instance, we could we could listen to one of their favorite songs in English and just like go through the lyrics. And uh, this way, you know, they are interested uh, they, uh, in, uh, in the lesson itself and they learn something and it's based on what they're actually interested in. So um, that was another challenge, I would say, for me and how I handled it, kind of. I love the idea of the lyrics because it's not just phonetic, it's also the understanding. That's that's great. Jenny, I bet you have something to say. You do. Yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> because uh, I wanted actually to say totally, Alex, I agree with you about songs and uh, repeat after me songs particularly because that's amazing. Not only for little kids, but for adults, for my adult students and for everyone because... When I was in the U.S. together with you in 2018 on some North American conference for camp, it was tri-state camp conference, Jenny. <laughs> it was like three three thousand adults from different parts, not only of the U.S. but all over the world, and they were dancing and singing that crazy songs, and everybody were like really happy. And it's not something religious, but it's absolutely different and. After that, I like everywhere where I uh, ran any training or any English uh, language classes, I incorporated that song Aruchicha everywhere just because it doesn't make any sense. It's very good for articulation and everybody just a little bit surprised what's going on here. And even people who are not motivated, they start uh, looking at you and thinking, my goodness, I should try something with her because it's amazing but i was also thinking about uh, we call it in russia a children's initiative or students initiative but i guess that in the us you call it like uh, project-based uh, learning or experiential learning so when you learn on exp with experience with some practical things uh, and 
I think that it's amazing when you can give a student a chance like to lead you or to teach you something very simple. Uh, for example, I don't know how to um, to make origami peace screen or maybe origami heart. That's actually my thing. Uh, I learned it from my student and after that we repeated many, many times and did that peace um, screen, uh, you know, uh, action um, on on the 21st of September, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the uh, United Nations uh, celebrate this day uh, and uh, they do th they just make up uh, paper peace cranes, origami, and it's at, at, at first sight, it's very complicated here, yeah? but when you try it once or twice, uh, then you can do thousands of them. And that's amazing that you can uh, even write some words of gratitude, maybe some words of happiness in different languages and then send them to your friends, whatever, whatever. But that's just uh, came out of uh, one simple uh, lesson from my student. We didn't even think about it before. So uh, I think when you learn language, you can also do this and encourage your students to share their ideas with you. But here is uh, the thing, you should be a little bit trained to do this. When you, with practice, you learn how to do it. And camping, it's amazing place where you can be trained and your campers can train you. And it's an exchange and that's why we are all here. I mean, uh, that's why I try to incorporate camping in our projects and our alumni community and in this very podcast to show you guys that you can do it. And right now you, you've you proved it, I guess, and still proven it with this project, with this meeting and our amazing Reaccess podcast. So I just, that's what I wanted to, to add. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. Well, that's probably a great place for us to wrap it up. Um, lots of fantastic ideas and different ways of thinking about nurturing. Um, so I guess, um, Kirk, do you have any departing words of wisdom? I just want to thank you for the great conversations. I just love the ideas of how everyone approaches burnout in particular. It's very important to understand the best that we need is most important because we can't share our best when we're not. So thank you very much for the chat. Yeah, Kirk, I have been so lucky over, I mean, almost a year now to spend every week with this group of thoughtful and experienced and caring educators. Um, their insights have helped me to become a better teacher. So I am, um, I'm really sad that this is uh, our last, well, second to last time together, but I'll, I'm going to save the tears for tomorrow. Okay. Um, so thank you, Kirk, and let me uh, stop the recording.